BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Josh Hammer Show. Starting this week, the Josh Hammer Show is live on AM 770 KTTH Seattle. Huge thanks to my friend Jason Rance, the program director at KTTH, for this opportunity. Jason has been a frequent contributor for us over the past few years at Newsweek, where I hang my hat, formerly as opinion editor, now as senior editor at large. We're excited to take this show nationally, and we're really excited to get started in markets just like Seattle. Seattle is a beautiful city. It has been the home to so many successful companies over the years. I'm thinking, of course, about Bill Gates and Microsoft, Jeff Bezos and Amazon and many other companies like it. Nintendo of America for the gamers there, of course, based in the Seattle, Washington area. These are beautiful cities. But what do these beautiful cities have in common? Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, increasingly San Diego. These cities out west and increasingly also on the east. They have in common... Leftism, a cancerous tumor that was implanted decades ago and is now metastasizing across the entirety of the culture, the body politic, and the way of life of the citizens living in these cities. Can you walk across downtown Seattle, Washington for more than 50 to 100 feet for more than one city block? Can you go walking without seeing needles all over the place, without seeing homeless people passed out from God knows what narcotics? without seeing human feces literally having to forcibly sidestep to get around turds sprinkling the sidewalks like a foul-smelling cupcake. No, you probably can't. Again, this is the result of failed urban policies. There are very few cities across the United States that have actually been governed by anything other than radical Democratic politicians for decades. It's not just a West Coast phenomenon. Major Midwestern and East Coast cities as well, like Detroit and Baltimore, have been mismanaged by Democratic mayors for literally decades. Their populations have been hemorrhaged. In the case of Baltimore, it has fallen by more than half over the past half century or so. Progressivism is killing urban America. Light on crime so-called prosecutors, typically funded by George Soros and his horrific ilk, are laying the seeds of death and destruction everywhere they go. What does it even mean to be a prosecutor committed to a prosecutorial platform of not prosecuting? It is oxymoronic on its face. What does it mean to try to protect the citizens where you took an oath to protect them while letting homeless people who are either high on God knows what drugs and or mentally ill, oftentimes both, all throughout the streets. Whether it is drugs, whether it is homelessness, whether it is crime, we have seen a shift out of these big blue cities 
into other parts of the country. That is not necessarily a bad thing if you don't live in one of these cities. But it doesn't have to be this way. As some like to say, decline is a choice. H.L. Mencken, the great writer from about a century ago or so, said that democracy is giving the voters what they want good and hard. Ultimately, that is what is happening in cities like Seattle and San Francisco. If you want to vote the bums out, you can vote them out. There is no reason why this must be the case. Ultimately, it is a choice. On this show for the past almost two years now, we have been trying to equip you, the listener, with the tools and the arguments and bringing on the guests who are knowledgeable enough to try to fight back against this rising tide of oppressive, hegemonic leftism. Not liberalism, leftism. Wokeism, progressivism, whatever you want to call it, it is certainly not classical liberalism. It is destroying our schools. It is destroying our cities. Unless we fight back against it, the great cities of this country increasingly, certainly the swing states whose populations are dominated by these great Democrat-dominated cities, even in the swing states like Pennsylvania, where there's Philadelphia dominates the population, Georgia with Atlanta, same situation, from the big cities all the way to Main Street, USA, fighting back against the corrosiveness of leftism, of so-called reform prosecutors. This has to be where we plant our flag. Seattle is a beautiful, beautiful city. We are thrilled to be on the airwaves here on KTTH. But unless you fight back, unless you, the Washingtonian, unless you, in this case, the Seattle resident, unless you fight back against what is happening in front of you, it's going to continue just to spiral out of control. We're thrilled to be on the airwaves here. We cannot wait to bring to you the tools and the arguments that you need to fight back and to get us on a path towards civilizational sanity, not civilizational arson. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Palestinian resistance has broken
right, let's let's just cut off right there here. Do these idiots have any idea what they are talking about? Do these idiots have any idea of the cause that they purport to stand for? You know, sometimes the answer might be yes. In some cases, the answer might be yes. Although I fear that many of these people are just caught up in the hot, trendy new thing, the thing of the day. The thing of the day was Black Lives Matter three and a half years ago. It was the Me Too movement and the rise or the re-rise, the feminists before that. Then it was Ukraine, and now it's, now it's Gaza. Now it's not just the so-called Palestinians. It's actually Hamas itself. Have these people read the Hamas charter? They're very public about it, actually. It's available on the Yale Law School website, the Hamas Covenant of 1988. I, I, I would recommend that these idiots read it. I'm sure they have not read it. Hamas cites an infamous hadith, which is essentially an outgrowth of the Quran. And in this hadith, Hamas urges Muslims around the world to find the Jew hiding behind the tree and to kill the Jew. Quote, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews, when the Jew will hide behind stones and trees. The stones and trees will say, oh, Muslims, oh, Abdullah, there was a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. That is just one snippet from the Hamas covenant of 1988. It's actually not just Hamas. Hamas is, of course, as bad as it gets. They are indistinguishable from Al-Qaeda, indistinguishable from ISIS. Frankly, they're indistinguishable from the Nazis at Auschwitz, Treblinka, and elsewhere. The entire concept of so-called Palestinian nationalism is not only ahistorical, which it is, it was fabricated as an information operation against the Western world in order to annihilate the Jews of Israel, thus taking out the birth of Western civilization itself, which, of course, is Jerusalem. Modern anti-Zionism and modern Palestinian nationalism, which are two sides of the exact same coin, of course, were literally invented as a 1960s-era Soviet disinformation operation. The Kremlin essentially recruited an Egyptian con man by the name of Yasser Arafat to found the PLO, Palestine Liberation Organization, which properly is now recognized as a terrorist organization. In 1974, Yasser Arafat declared, quote, we shall never stop until we can go back home and Israel is destroyed. The goal of our struggle is the end of Israel and there can be no compromise or mediations. We don't want peace. We want victory. Makes you wonder how roughly 20 years after that, he shook the hand of Yitzhak Rabin with Bill Clinton overseeing it as part of the Oslo Accords, which of course were a horrific idea from start to finish, ultimately resulting in the Second Intifada. How about three years after that infamous Arafat quote, in 1977, you had another top PLO official, Zuhair Muzin, 
Well, he let the cat he let the cat out of the bag even more clearly. Quote, there are no differences between Jordanians, Palestinians, Syrians, and Lebanese. We are all part of one nation. It is only for political reasons that we carefully underline our Palestinian identity. And here's the key part. Quote, yes, the existence of a separate Palestinian identity serves only tactical purposes. The founding of a Palestinian state is a new tool in the continuing battle against Israel. Folks, they really could not be clearer about this. Whether it is the Hamas charter, again, whether it is the PLO itself. This cause exists for one reason and one reason only. Which is the end of a tiny country roughly the size of New Jersey. The world's only Jewish state surrounded by dozens of Muslim-majority states that completely and utterly dwarf its size. Yes, there was a war in 1948 between the Jews and the Arabs after Ben-Gurion declared Israel's independence. That war was launched by the invading Arab armies months after they rejected a UN resolution that would have bifurcated the land of Israel and given the Arabs living there a state significantly larger, as the case may be, than what even the most maximalist of the two-state solution crowds are willing to give them today. Funny how that works. Because it has never been about a so-called Palestinian state. The professional Washington, D.C. peace processors, the two-state solution ideologues, who comprise the bipartisan foreign policy establishment, Dennis Ross, Aaron David Miller, I could go on. Martin Indyke, these names have been around for decades. They have been trying to pursue this so-called peace process, this two-state solution, as if it is a quasi-religious fervor in their heart. They have dedicated their careers to the so-called peace process. And yet they fundamentally fail to understand what the other side wants. The other side does not merely want a so-called Palestinian state, notwithstanding that the PLO officials themselves are saying how ahistorical and illogical the entire notion of so-called Palestinian nationalism is. Holding all that aside, they don't just want an independent state. They want Israel to cease to exist. They want the millions and millions of Jews of Israel to go into the sea. That is what they mean when they say, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. They could not possibly be clearer about this. The people in the United States, the idiots, idiots, on American university campuses, marching for Hamas, are not marching for two states. They are not marching for some fanciful left-wing academic notion of resistance against colonialism or imperialism or some utterly inane concept like that. 
They are clamoring for dead Jews. It truly is that simple. As always, of course, it ultimately is not just about the Jews. It's not even mostly about the Jews. Those who want to see Israel annihilated, those who ultimately want to see harm done to Jews, they're not there just because they hate the Jews. They're there because they hate Western civilization. Again, you cannot possibly understand Western civilization without understanding the role played by the Jewish people and Jerusalem. One might argue that Western civilization was built on the backs of Jerusalem, Athens, and Rome. So if you ultimately hate the West, and if you hate the West, that means that you hate Christianity, then you really have to hate Judaism. It makes sense, then, that the same idiots now marching for dead Jews and for Israel to be annihilated are the same idiots who are clamoring for Black Lives Matter, which is a viciously Marxist anti-American organization, after the George Floyd riots of 2020. A lot of these people, again, just have no idea what it is they are talking about. They have just been taken along for the ride. Here's an interview from the Oakland, California area. Let's listen to what this young girl had to say. Students here at Baboa High School are taking a stance. We refuse to stay silent. This cycle of violence, violence must end. Many protesting on Wednesday in support of Palestine, demanding an immediate ceasefire. Palestine! Free, free Palestine! Behind this demonstration is Ishel, a 16-year-old junior at Balboa High School. Half Farsi and half Latina, she felt a deep connection to the ongoing conflict in Gaza and decided to take action. My first plan of action was we made an Instagram account for Balboa and uh, I did six hours of research. She did six hours of research. This conflict has been around for millennia. This idiot high schooler did six hours of research, no doubt going down some Chinese Communist Party manipulated TikTok algorithm showing her lots of Gaza and Hamas flags. And now she is some expert on one of the world's most intractable conflicts. Folks, the amount of misinformation and disinformation when it comes to this particular conflict is out of control. And some of it is coming from a grossly naive place, such as these high school and college idiots. More of it is coming from a deep loathing, a self-hatred, not merely of Jews, but of the West itself. There are not all that many conflicts these days which we can easily say are good versus evil. If you are unable to look at the current situation in Gaza between Israel and the genocidal Islamist death cult Hamas, if you are unable to look at that and say that, that this is good versus evil, then you have lost all control of your sensory faculties. We're going to be joined momentarily by Oded Ilam, who was really high up in Mossad. He's going to tell us all about what's happening there on the ground in Gaza. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Oded Ilam. 
This is the Josh Hammer Show. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We're joined now by Oded Ilam. He has served in the Mossad for 24 years, first as a field operational agent working under the Counterterrorism Center, and he eventually rose to become deputy to the director of the Mossad's operations. Oded, you are a perfect guest at this exact time. Thanks so much for joining the Josh Hammer Show. Thank you all for having me. So let's dive right into it. This is a hot war in Gaza. This is urban warfare, the likes of which the Western world probably has not seen since the United States itself was in Fallujah in Iraq, maybe 15, 16, 17 years ago or so. Tell us what is happening inside Gaza right now, because there's not a ton of footage that the Western world is actually seeing from Gaza. So why don't you kind of just paint a picture of what is happening there on the ground? Okay, well, uh, I think what we are seeing right now is the total collapse of the concept of the Hamas regarding uh, their strategy, regarding the way that they fortified the Gaza, and especially uh, regarding uh, as a regional war that they were expecting to initiate. Right now, Hamas, uh, I will talk a little bit later about the, the actual combat, but Hamas was expecting to create a regional war where Iran, which is the puppeteer, uh, will use uh, her proxies, which is the Hezbollah, and also some of the uh, militant uh, Shia militia in, uh, in uh, Syria to join in with full force uh, into this uh, arena and also they were expecting the uh, the west bank to join and needless to say they were uh, trying to initiate the israeli arabs or the israeli palestinians to to take part in it uh, by creating riots in towns and cities like we have witnessed a few years ago uh, they were expecting that, uh, that this will actually crumble Israel or bring it to the verge of, uh, of uh, making all sorts of uh, concessions. And I will talk about what kind of concessions they mean because they are, let's not forget, they are Salafi. They are, their idea is not a territorial dispute but inhalation or suffocating Israel uh, off the map. This is very important to, to remember. It's not a territorial 
dispute, but rather a, a I would say religious a, a war where Israel is just the stepping stone because afterwards, like the Salafi, they are going to um, uh, tackle all the uh, infidels. Uh, Christians, uh, Western civilization, and so on. So their strategy uh, was that they will put so much uh, pressure on Israel uh, from all sides, and uh, it failed. What we see right now, the only one who actually joined them are the Houthi in Taiman, and it's very, very minor and very easily uh, can be traced, monitored, and intercepted either by uh, Israel or the Americans. Uh, and, and, and that's it. It's, it's a total quiet on, on all fronts except in the north with Hezbollah. But the skirmishes in the north are not on the scale that they had expected. Of course, Nasrallah is threatening, yeah, we're going to escalate and so on. But in my perception, it's, it's purely a threat. Well, why is that? I mean, let's uh, let's kind of let's drill down on that then, because I, like many others, did expect that Hezbollah would, would hop into the fray fairly quickly after the IDF started going more directly into Gaza, that thus far has not happened. I mean, there's been increased rocket barrages and, 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 and some skirmishes in Kiryat Shimona and very far northern Israel, but Hezbollah thus far has really not gotten involved nearly as much as many of us thought. Is that because of the United States deterrent right there, or, or, or what do you make of that? And do you think that's going to change? I think perhaps most important. I must say, Josh, that from day one, I said, although there were some people that were skeptical, Nasrallah will not go into such, uh, I, as I call it, a total war. There is no way. I I was the director for six years of the counterterrorism center of the Mossad, and I think I know Nasrallah more than his doctors know him. <laughs> And uh, I've gained a lot, a lot of... Uh, Nasrallah, just for, just for the audience to be on the same page, Nasrallah is the head of Hezbollah in Lebanon. And you have to remember one very important issue. Nasrallah is a Shiite, and the, and the Hamas are Sunni, and the hatred between them it goes back 2,000 years. Their very, very peculiar uh, coalition that had created only about six years ago after uh, the, the civil war in Syria, it, it ceased a little bit. It's something which is very, very technical. It's not something that is embedded uh, in, in, in the Shiite and they hate the Sunni. For them, the Sunni people are dispensable as paper cups. And for the Iranians, the Arabs are dispensable as, as paper cups. They are using them. They are the puppeteer for, for their uh, reason. But there's not, I, I can't see any way that Nasrallah will uh, uh, go under the bus for the Sunni. He will not, he knows, he's looking very carefully and observing the, the, the situation in Gaza, observing the arena. He sees the huge damage that we inflict with a, a, a ferocity never seen before on Gaza. And he knows exactly that this, this, this thing 
can be cut and paste and go into Beirut and to the Dachia. And right now he's in a very, very uh, awkward position because the uh, Lebanese economy is on the verge of collapse. The, even if, if, if we attack, they hardly be, will be able to recover because they are in, in the war situation. He lost the element of surprise, doesn't exist anymore. We have huge amount of forces up in the north and the skirmishes he's losing. He lost more than 70 of his top elite Ardwan Radwan, sorry, uh, unit uh, by Israeli forces in in a very very unfamiliar uh, battle, and he's very very surprised by the ability of 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 the of Israel, and he actually knows that right now he has ex- in fact no a, a real ability uh, to confront Israel. And uh, he's not, he's not, a, a, he doesn't want to commit any sort of a suicide. He will probably raise the level of the, of the skirmishes in order to convey some sort of uh, a compassion and affiliation a, 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 a to, uh, to the Hamas. But it's not going to be more, more than that. There is a big question. What is Israel going to do about uh, Hezbollah? But this is uh, another story. Okay, fair enough. So uh, let's, let's go back to Gaza then. So uh, what, what are the next few weeks, months? I mean, you know, only God knows how long of fighting in Gaza going, going to look like here. I mean, I, I obviously from Israel's perspective here, Hamas must unconditionally surrender. The hostages must be released, but easier said than done, of course. So, you know, I, I, this is your field. Why don't you kind of paint a picture for, for Westerners, what they can expect just trying to, to track this conflict from afar over, over the next few weeks and months. I, I want to go to the, uh, the example of uh, Mosul. If you remember Mosul, in Iraq, the second biggest city in Iraq, and where the production of the oil was <clears throat> captured by the ISIS forces. Mosul is a little bit more or less Gaza, 2.2 million people in a very condensed area and so on. The American uh, took Mosul, it took them, I think, about eight months from 2006 to the middle of 2007, uh, about 20,000 civilian casualties, but it's an estimation because nobody actually really counted it. And I'm talking about 20,000 civilian uh, casualties. 114 Americans uh, were killed in, the, in these actions. And, and, and they wiped out ISIS. And uh, I think what's going to be here is more or less the same but much more much more uh, ferocious because the undercity that they have been building uh, since 2007 the hamas is is unprecedented i've been to vietnam and i've been to uh, korea i saw those tunnels this it's a piece of cake if you if you compare them to the about uh, 600 kilometers of ta- underground tunnels the Hamas had uh, prepared, and it's much more easier because it's soil, it's not rock. So it's completely different warfare than we uh, actually uh, know or confronted before. Having said that, uh, the last few days were real good for the Israeli forces. Uh, we inflicted 
huge damage on on the infrastructure of the Hamas, on the on the rockets, uh, on their ammunition, also on the the tunneling system, uh, the um, the way the Hamas confronts Israeli forces is by getting out of the pier, or which is can be in a house, can be in a school, or whatever trying to uh, launch some sort of uh, attack and return immediately back to the to the tunnel system the, it doesn't work for them it doesn't work for them I don't want to elaborate on on how we do it and exactly but they're losing every single uh, confrontation uh, uh, with this Israeli IDF and I think it's one of the wars that Israel had uh, initiated where we come in a very, very good shape after the initial shock of the 7th of October. It was a total shock uh, for everybody. But I think we we gained into our senses very, very fast. And the way that we had prepared that and we the way that we had launched it is right now and touch wood, it's working uh, very well in favor uh, of Israel. What's going to happen, I think, you know, in a war, you know how you get in, you never know how you get out. And uh, right. so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really unpredictable. But I think it would take few days to gain um, control of the uh, inner city of Gaza, where underneath are all the tunnels with the headquarters. I don't think Israel will go into the tunneling system pretty soon, but try to gain some sort of control above. And afterwards, we're going to uh, take them one way or another. But I think it will take a few days to few days. Wow. some sort of control. No kidding. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, speaking of the tunnels, and, you know, uh, let's end on this note, I guess. But speaking of the tunnels... The hostages down there, obviously, I mean, that is one of the main concerns, not just for Israel, but for all of those who are on the side of of, of justice and, and good against the, the Hamas evil. And the, many of us are thinking a lot about these hostages. Are, are you optimistic that most of these hostages will, will make it out alive? You know, Josh, it's uh, it's a, it, it's the $2 million question, I must say. You know, if you look at the hostages crisis, it's like uh, it's like in, they had uh, took hostage a big airplane. Okay, I mean at the at the amount of people that it's not more than that. It's an airplane, but the problem is is they are divided into small groups in different places, and it, I, I, I'm not we are not sure who control whom because some of the hostages are held by jihadic Islamic Jihad, which is the different sack and different group. Some of them are even uh, held by locals who penetrated uh, uh, the border and, and, and took hostages. And of course, the major bulk is 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 uh, with the Hamas. Uh, this is very, very complicated uh, issue that we never faced before. We never faced such a huge amount of hostages that are not at, at one place and but in different places and mainly mainly underground, and I cannot tell you for sure what's going to be the outcome. Of course, there will be here and there attempts to to rescue, to free them, 
SWAT teams, even American teams are, are on the ground to join us. But uh, I can't say, I, or I cannot predict uh, 100% uh, success. That, that won't happen, unfortunately. One thing that Israel is trying to do right now is use a lot of uh, psychological warfare, which means trying to pursue the one, who, the kidnappers who hold hostages to let them free and in exchange will uh, will uh, will give them their life and some sort of uh, support. Sure. And we're talking actually on the outer layer of the Hamas. I'm not talking of the hardcore of the Hamas, which is probably uh, somewhere around the Shifa hospital underneath or something like that. But those who were captured on the outskirts and those who were captured by local and and so on it's a very very complex situation we never faced it before and i i can't really predict what's of course now well no one can predict what happens of course except for god himself but there are very few with your experienced oded alam and for that we're very grateful for your joining the program this week thank you so much for joining us thank you very much for having me and uh, wish all the best to us and to all the israeli supporters around the world I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Congressman George Santos survives efforts to expel him from the House. So the effort to kick Santos out of the House was led by his fellow New York Republicans who are anxious to distance themselves from him. But the resolution failed to gain the required two thirds vote. In fact, they actually could not even muster a simple majority. I personally am happy about this, and I have no love whatsoever for George Santos. I hope that he gets a legitimate primary challenger, and I hope that that primary challenger, assuming that he is sufficiently conservative, is ultimately successful. The reason that I say that I am happy about this is because this is exactly downstream of what I and others refer to, I think, as knowing what time it is. The alternative take, which is when the right tries to reach and to ultimately sustain this completely unattainable and certainly unsustainable moral high ground, is what I've mocked over the years as quote-unquote principled loserdom, where yes, maybe you can sleep a little bit better at night because you have retained some sense of being a little bit better than the opposition. Yes, you are holier. Yes, you can pound your chest just fine. But no, 
No, you're ultimately still losing. And, you know, in today's day and age, in today's day and age when the left is quite literally indicting their political opponents, when they are dragging their political opponents into court, God knows where this stops, by the way. As of right now, we're all looking at Donald Trump, four indictments, 91 criminal accounts. Only God knows where this stops. If you are not worried as a normal citizen that it might be coming to you, then I suggest that you probably should be concerned at a time like this. When they are acting like that, when there are congressmen in the Democratic caucus on the other side of the aisle, like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, who are openly cheering on a genocidal Islamist medieval death cult in Hamas, when you have people like that, honestly, I am not going to pretend like George Santos, as bad as he is and as ridiculous a human being as he is, and as much as I hope that he's primary, I am not going to pretend like I feel that strongly that he should be expelled. So yes, I'm happy about this outcome. Dozens of U.S. birds renamed over concerns of racism and misogyny. Well, what else would it be these days? In total, 70 to 80 birds from the U.S. and Canada will be given a new name by the American Ornithological Society. Their aim is to quote, create a more inclusive environment for bird watchers. I mean, for the love of God, people, I, I mean, I just have no idea where this ultimately ends. I mean, this is what we have talked about for years. This is wokeism, just capturing the institutions. It is the long march through the institutions to go back to the Italian Marxist theorist Gramsci. We've seen it everywhere. I mean, it is not just the Fortune 500. It is not just the higher ed universities. It is not just the big tech firms and the Twitter files and Elon Musk taking over from Jack Dorsey. It's not just all of that. It is even the American Ornithological Society. Dude, they're coming after our birds, for God's sake. So the birds that are facing a rebrand include Bachman's Warbler, which was named after a slave-owning priest. That would just be one example. They're getting rid of that. You know what this reminds me of a little bit? It reminds me of how the, the country banned Lady Antebellum after the George Floyd riots and America's racial reckoning. Lady Antebellum changed their name to being just Lady A. Apparently, the Latin language is now going bye-bye. We are sacrificing it, apparently, on the altar of wokeism. Oregon just dropped all graduation standards, failing all of its students in, what else, the name of equity. So the Oregon State Board of Education has argued that requiring students to complete standardized tests presents a, quote, harmful hurdle for historically marginalized students. And unfortunately, you know, this is not indicative of student skills. Only 43% of students in the graduating class this year were proficient in English less than 31% proficient in math. You know, you anti-racist, you intersectional identity politics freaks on the left. How is it not racist to be cutting standardized tests because you fear deep down in your bigoted heart that a slightly higher percentage of black or Hispanic students might somehow fail a test? You actually really are the racist for harboring that thought deep down. And, you know, you're idiosyncratic subjective racism is not in this case just your own fault you know who actually is harmed by this america america is harmed by having a whole generation of blithering idiots who are not passing their standardized tests the only people who benefit from this from this russia china iran america's enemies benefit from your woke idiocy in this case this is the josh hammer show